doctors have a tendency to go with what they know. So if they see cognitive changes in an adult, they have a tendency to go right to Alzheimer's or dementia. Hi, I'm Bobby. I was a caregiver for my father-in-law, Roger, for seven years. I'm a certified caregiving consultant and educator and a frequent speaker at caregiver conferences and webinars. And I'm her husband, Mike, and I'm a certified caregiver advocate and certified music therapist. And this is Roger That, the podcast dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. Here we focus on the caregiver, offer practical insights, and share some emotional support, and we might even share a laugh or two. We all know laughter is the best medicine. And don't forget the wine, Mike. No, I won't forget your wine, sweetheart. I do appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> so we've talked briefly a couple times about the lack of understanding of dementia and how dementias are often misdiagnosed. Uh, absolutely. You know, a lot of people think dementia means Alzheimer's and have no idea that there are many, many different forms of dementia. Uh, dementia means you have a brain disease. That brings us to today's guest who comes to us from Ireland. She is a mother of five and was diagnosed with vascular brain lesions, multiple sclerosis, and fibromyalgia. She lives with her 10-year-old daughter, who is her caregiver. Please welcome to the show, Anne Scott. Good morning or good afternoon, Anne. <laughs> <laughs> Good afternoon, Mike. Yes, it's afternoon here and morning with you, so yes. thank um, I, I like the fact that in, in, when introducing you and your show, we talked about your daughter as a caregiver, because we have mentioned on our show a few times about young people actually being caregivers. It's good to know that she's, she's there to assist you. Yes, she's amazing. So she is. She's, she's actually 12 now. It took two years to come around to this stage, but um, she's very good. She's very good with understanding the illnesses and how they affect you and so on. She's now, is she, quite knowledgeable. Now, where is she in the mix of your children? Is she the youngest? Is she the middle, oldest? She's the baby. She's the baby? Yeah, she's the, the youngest one, ah. yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so she's 12 now, my other daughter, um, she's 21, and she used to be my caregiver, but now she's left home and so on, so it's just Eva, the wee one. Now, you mentioned that your illness was misdiagnosed, and again, that happens frequently when people mm -hmm. have a, a disease that affects the brain. Um, could you talk to us a, a bit about that? Several years ago, I got very ill and was prepared for brain scan and I thought I had a brain tumour. Um, so the results of the MRI came back and I was told I had cerebral vascular atherosclerosis, <clears throat> which I was then later on told it was vascular dementia. And I joined a lot of dementia working groups and helped with talks and speeches and raising awareness for dementia. And then three years after, well, I was actually diagnosed with that uh, and six weeks after the first diagnosis, I got secondary progressive multiple sclerosis. A year after that, I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia. So carried on with that. It was very, very hard, but carried on, made all new friends. And then three years later, um, I was called back in to see the neurologist and told that I didn't have dementia, that I had chronic small vessel disease which as you know is brain lesions vascular brain lesions 
Um, so whether that will progress into dementia will depend on how many more lesions I get. So it was all very, um, very shocking. The first diagnosis, you were obviously really shocked. And then whenever the diagnosis changed, all the new friends I've made, it's a whole new life I'd made, all changed again. And I just was left with nothing again. So I talked to a few people and contemplated what to do. And I thought, well, if this is happening to me, it's happening to other people too. So I put a post up on Facebook and told everybody what had happened. Um, so that other people wouldn't be scared to come forward and say it too. Because there is an awful lot of people then came to me afterwards and says, I'm so glad you put that up there because... You know, we get diagnosed with this and we believe what we're told and then the diagnosis gets changed and we're scared of people taking it the wrong way and saying we were lying to begin with or we were frauds or anything like that. So I was glad I put it up in the end because it helps so many other people to say that it's not, it's so easy. You go to your neurologist or psychologist or whatever and they tell you you've got this illness. I had no reason to doubt them. I mean, I had the brain lesions, I had all the symptoms, so you don't not believe them. And then, as I said, the neurologist told me that, and he actually wrote me a letter stating that, you know, I've just become aware that I hadn't actually got dementia, so it kept me right with everyone else. And some of the dementia organisations kept me on, um, kept my work that I had done on their sites and so on, and I'm still a Dementia Diaries transcriber now. Still a member of the day of Dementia Lands International and so on, because as I said, I lived with that experience for three years. So I had that lived experience to go by, and I still have the memory problems. I've still got all the symptoms. I've just had the name of the diagnosis oh, that's, changed. That's one of the things I, I wanted to ask. Um, your symptoms, what originally brought you to the doctor? Uh, and what symptoms do you have that were similar to dementia? Because I imagine there were many. Yes, there is. There's actually, I started to feel very, very ill. Um, I couldn't remember things very well, even simple words. Um, if I want to say to somebody, you know, will you pass me this? I wouldn't be able to remember the word and I'd have to constantly think about it. The tiredness, you know, very vision problems, problems walking, there was lots of symptoms. Um, but then some of them now they're saying is relating to the vascular dementia or the vascular brain lesions. Others are related to the multiple sclerosis brain lesions because I have both. So it's really hard to distinguish what um, symptom is coming from which illness. So it took quite a while and then I um, started collapsing. I was actually passing out. And that's why they referred me for the brain scan. And yeah, it came back then showing all the brain lesions dotted all over my brain. So it was quite a scary time. So once you once you got this diagnosis, the initial diagnosis, how did that impact um, basically your life, your day-to-day -day life, your professional life, uh, your family life? It was extremely hard. I came out of having the first diagnosis and was in shock. I don't remember everything that was said. I was in total shock. And I came home, I sat in my garden for a couple of hours because I couldn't go in and tell the children all of that. So I just sat there for a while and cried. 
until I got myself together and then I went in and told the children what I knew about it, um, which wasn't very much at that stage. So my whole life changed. I lost some friends. I couldn't drive any longer. Uh, I couldn't work. Uh, there was lots of things that changed. Uh, my life was just awful for a long time. And there was so little information at this stage on the internet about what to do with the illness, where to go for help. But eventually I found a dementia working group and I joined it. I got a letter from my doctor to say I had vascular dementia and joined the working group and done lots of campaigning and made new friends and made a new life and everything was going grand as it can be with illnesses. And then, as you now know, Heverson got turned upside down again and lost a lot of those new friends again. So life has been a bit of a turmoil for these last few I years. I can imagine the struggles uh, had to be so difficult, but clearly you're an extremely strong woman. And uh, thank you so much for reaching out, you know, on social media and letting people know what happened and finding other people in a position similar to yours, who needed to hear your voice. Mm-hmm. No, thank you. I, I just think everybody should. It's nobody's fault if their diagnosis gets changed. We believe what we're told. They're the medical experts. We're the ones that say, oh, you automatically believe. So nobody does anything wrong. Nobody wants to be diagnosed with something and then have it changed and took away in their life all well, upside down. The fact down, of the so. matter is with these various brain diseases, whether it's a, a, a dementia or something else, um, doctors mm-hmm. have a tendency to go with what they know. So if they see cognitive mm-hmm. changes in an adult, they have a tendency to go right to Alzheimer's or dementia. Um, and mm-hmm. the brain is tricky. <laughs> And, mm-hmm. and and it, it yeah. can make things look like something else. So mm-hmm. it, it is extremely difficult many, many times to get the proper diagnosis. Um, I'm really saddened to hear that people would turn away from you if your diagnosis changed. That to me is, is, is shocking that, that that would happen. Because mm-hmm. how many times do we go it, into a doctor's common. office and they tell us something and we know that's not quite right? Because they're doing exactly, they're they're doing their best, but they also kind of get Mm -hmm. used to people coming in with certain symptoms and responding in a certain way. Mm -hmm. That's very true. And the end of the day, too, you go to see your own GP, and they're trained in general practice, but they're not trained in specific fields like dementia. And I don't know about in America, but I know over here that most doctors get like seven hours training in dementia and that's it. That's not enough training to cover all the illnesses and everything, all the aspects that they need to know about that. So it is quite common for somebody to go in and especially if you're not getting a brain scan. I had the brain scan and they discovered the lesions, but so many people, if I had been like 10, 15 years older and went and says, I have all these memory problems, I probably wouldn't have gotten a brain scan. I would have got the memory test and then they would never have known that I had multiple sclerosis as well and the other illnesses. So, you know, it really is worthwhile to have a brain scan and all these other tests done just to be sure. But even as that happens, in my case, they didn't make it sure because they've now said there's both 
sets of brain lesions. So, but it's very, very common. I've had quite a lot of people coming forward and saying, this has happened to me and I'm scared to come out and say it to everybody. I don't know where to go from here. I don't know where to turn. Because obviously now there is some help out there for people that are being diagnosed, but there's no help whenever you get the diagnosis taken away. But you're still left with all the pains and the symptoms and the problems, right. but nobody to turn to. Wow. Um, that that really does seem bizarre to me that you would be, for lack of a better phrase, kicked out of the the cool ki- <laughs> the kids group, right? Um, <laughs> that, mm-hmm. but like, because like you said, you lived it for how many years, uh, mm-hmm. as opposed to been on the periphery of it. You actually did live with the disease, even though you didn't have the disease. That's mm-hmm. that's mind-boggling to me how they could just turn away. Yeah, it's because they were saying, no, you can't speak if you've got dementia, if you haven't got dementia. It's all, you know, people can't speak for other people anymore. So, so some organizations did um, allow me to stay and I'm st- I mean they recognised I've still got the, pre- the brain problems I've still got the memory problems I did have the lived experience so they realised that's important but other groups are just no sorry you haven't got the diagnosis anymore so we can't help you uh, which is a bit harsh at times other I think. than your daughter well it's only me and my daughter that live here together um, the rest of my children are all grown up and have left and have their own lives but you now. don't have anybody to so. come in you know a couple of times a week or whatever to assist you with daily living no well my daughter's 12 now my other daughter lives behind me she moved into a house that's just right behind me so she comes around she's 21 and she helps me with other things that maybe I would find difficult or Evie would find difficult at the moment so it all it's all came together quite well in that respect Um, now we've mm -hmm. rarely spoken I think only one other time or maybe two other times with a person who actually has the brain issue and needs the caregiver Mm -hmm. And your daughter mm-hmm. is 12. How has mm-hmm. her life or the dynamics of her life changed? Um, both my daughter's lives changed dramatically. Um, my elder daughter, who is now 21, was still at secondary school uh, whenever I was diagnosed. Evie was actually quite small. She was just going into primary school. So... Um, their lives changed a lot. The, she, my eldest daughter lost a lot of friends. She wasn't able to go out and play and socialise with all her right. friends. So they eventually got fed up and stopped calling her and so on. A lot of her teachers didn't believe her that I was so ill. Um, one of them actually called her a liar. Um, but then another teacher that worked in the school actually sat down with Tiana and listened to her and then got us in touch with um, Bernardo's Young Carers Service. And they were amazing. I don't know if you have that over there, but it's an organisation that will come in and help the young carers, you know, explain the illnesses of what I had to the children, let them talk, do some counselling, some, sometimes some art with them, you know, take them out and give them a wee bit of a social life as well. Because Tiana ended up, she was looking after Eva. Um taking Evie to school, helping me with housework, helping with the shop, and she was more becoming like the mm-hmm. mother. And there was times that 
whenever I was really bad with the dizziness and the sickness and so on, that I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't even turn my head. And I would just have to lie in bed for maybe a few days at the time. And she'd have to help me backwards and forwards to the bathroom and so on. So it really impacted on her life. Um, Evie was quite young at that stage and didn't really understand. She knew I was ill, but she didn't really understand what was happening. But as she got older, we, we talk quite a lot. I've never had anything from Evie. I think children need to know what's going on so that they're not scared. And Evie has a very good now understanding and knowledge of the dementia. And she also has a Bernardo's care worker who comes and helps her as well. And it gives her time out. And she's now at secondary school, so she's making some new wee friends. And then Tiana, my other daughter, will come over and sit with me um, while Evie goes out and plays at times. But they do find it quite stressful. Evie would panic at times if she's away from me for too long and there's nobody with me because she doesn't know if I'm going to be okay or not. So it is very, very stressful for them. As young carers, it's very hard to deal with. Well, we do have organization here for young caregivers, and I'm glad to know that it you have it there in Ireland as well. And, you know, for somebody to come in and say that they understand and to offer them help has to be absolutely invaluable. Now, you and I became in touch initially on social media, and I saw that you had written a book to help children understand um, these diseases. And we would really like it if you would talk about that a little bit, what inspired you to do that and how it came about and uh, a little bit about what's in it. Well, after I became ill, I said I had the children. Um, we looked on the internet for things to help me and there was very little, there was very little information of any sort at all, but there was nothing at all for children. Um, now that was several years ago and anything that we did find at that stage was always a picture book of how to help Granny, sorry, of how to help Granny or Granda or understand their illness and whenever we did look at those there wasn't really any information in them that I wanted my children to have, they already knew that basic wee bit of information and then books is great to start off with because they do introduce the children to the illness but I wanted something more in depth. I wanted them to fully understand and not to be scared. Uh, so I wrote the book for my two daughters, Tiana and Eva, and I just done it when and if I wanted to do it and just sat down and thought, right, well, I'm going to write a book. The book was originally called Evie's Mummy, but then I had to think of a way to explain um, the dementia and then... I remembered about snowflakes being unique. I'd read that somewhere and had done research on that and brought in lots of snowflakes and gave them names and so on. And then I brought in a snowman. And then sizzling bacon came into the book. <laughs> Everything's better with bacon. <laughs> oh, it definitely is, yes. <laughs> he came into the book and he just took over everything. And the book just totally changed around. It was no longer really about Evie or Mommy. It is in a way, but it Came sizzling bacon was the character, and everything was explained through sizzling bacon. So, as one girl said who read it, she just loved him so much she didn't at the start she wanted to eat him, <laughs> but then later on she was thinking, Oh no, I don't want to eat him really, I want him to be my friend, he's so cute. And you know, so <laughs> it's a bit complicated in that respect. But the book uh, does go into a lot of detail about the brain and how the brain works the body and 
how the illnesses has affected and how Evie and her mummy's relationship is in the book. It's all full of understanding and empathy and love. And I just wanted everybody that read the book to say, you know, that Evie's mummy, and I know I talk about her as Evie's mummy and not having her as a person, I wanted them to see her as a person who is still capable in the book. And she needed that empathy and that respect. And so did Evie. I wrote the book really as best as I could, because I'm not a writer, but as best as I could from both sides. I wanted people to understand what it's like for somebody with dementia, but to equally see what it's like for somebody who is a carer. And both roles are, are it's, it's a, a thing that both carer and the person with dementia are both fighting. Mm-hmm. And both living with. And you say that, that you're not a writer, but your description of how it came from an idea and transformed into something else and then into something else entirely it's very much a writer, a writer's path. So, um, yes, you are. You may not realize it, but yes, you are. <laughs> Thank you. No, it's just so hard to believe it because I just done it on the part time for my two daughters. And I just thought when I wrote it, I thought Amy really likes it. She giggled through some of it and she loved the characters. So then I thought, right, well, if Amy really likes it, I'm going to send it to a publisher. If they like it, that's fantastic. And if they don't, then there's no harm done. But I got several replies back from the publishers and I decided to go with the one that I did go with. Um, But unfortunately, with COVID and everything else, it took a lot longer for it to be published. You know, it was over a year for it to be published with them because of all the, the troubles at the minute. But it was a nice experience, and well, actually, that's really fast in the publishing world. <laughs> at least, at least over here. <laughs> oh, <is it? laughs> oh, really? I didn't know that. I thought it was no, quite I... slow. But then I think it's a gap whenever you're waiting for something. <laughs> Everything's always slow when you're waiting. Absolutely, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so, um, circling back to Evie for just a second, are there? Mm-hmm. Um, caregiver support groups for the the children over there that she can belong to or be in touch with? Um, There is some. Um, The Bernardo's would be the biggest one that we have, Bernardo's Care Service. Um, And there is a couple of others, but a lot of them is like trips away. Whereas Evie's at the stage where she doesn't want to go too far from me. I said, even going to school, she likes to have her phone on. I've explained it to her teacher. She likes that connection with me so she knows that I'm okay. Um, Even though I've tried to reassure her numerous times, I'll be fine. It's just the way she is. She's a very caring little child. But as for any other help, not that I'm aware of, she gets the help from Bernardo's and that would be all. As a young carer, I don't think there is a great deal that I'm aware of for them. Mm especially so young, maybe for teenage carers, but for whenever Evie was six, seven, no, there's not. Well, it's, it's a, it sounds like the Bernardo's does an excellent job. So, so it's, it's good to have mm-hmm. that. And, you know, your connection to your daughter is, is, is absolutely wonderful. And inspiring. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. She's, she's maybe rock. So she is, she's lovely. She's actually a very mature 12-year-old, and we get on great. 
all the wee conversations and so on. So yeah, she's a good child. Now with the with the oh, advent yes. of so many people using Zoom and, and platforms like this, are you able to or even interested in do you speak to groups and let them know, share this information with them? Not as such. I haven't really been doing anything like that. I mean, it said a lot of the groups that I was in, I'm not able now to be in those. So, and it's finding a different way to do everything now. So, I haven't been able to do anything like that. And then with COVID, I was uh, going to be going around helping people with dementia diaries. I don't know if you have that over there. It's in England and people with dementia go on and um, write about their problems, their aspirations, dreams, anything they want to talk about. And I would transcribe all them and, and then it's all put onto the internet. And I was supposed to be going around helping other dementia groups to set this up for people to help them. And it's and then carers and all can go on to the site and look and see what people are doing and how best to help and so on. But at that, that's all at the minute when that's been put on hold. So. Um, the Alzheimer's organization here in the United States has that on their website um, where people can write their stories and, and share their 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 journeys. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to say mm-hmm. I'm so glad that I came we came across you on social media and we had the opportunity to talk to you today and learn about your daughters and how they help you. And I know that every day you're, mm-hmm. what you're doing is helping people um, who are having trouble getting a diagnosis for a, some kind of brain issue. And um, mm-hmm. your book sounds absolutely delightful, and we will put a link to it on our website. Oh, thank you. That would be great. That would be lovely. Unless you have something else that you really want to share with, with our listeners about your journey or how people can reach out to help and be understanding for somebody who has had a diagnosis change. Um, We'd love for you to share that. I just think it's like a lot of illnesses. It doesn't matter whether it's the dementia, the MS, fibromyalgia, Huntington's. It doesn't matter. I think everybody that has an illness just wants to live their life the best they can and get help to be happy. We all want to be happy. And as Evie and I work as a team, we always have done I know she's my car and I'm her parent, but we work things more like a team. We'll do everything together and discuss everything. And it just seems to work for us because she gives me my place as still as a parent, even though I'm ill, and I give her her place as my car and a child. And I just think I want everybody to see from the book that you know, the love is still there mm. for everybody. And there is still happy memories to be made and happy times to have. And I just want everybody to see that from the book. That's that's mm-hmm. awesome. And I think that's a wonderful way to end on a positive note. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. I, I can't thank you enough for being on the show. Um, no, thank you for having me. Um, again, I feel inspired by the story. That's uh, oh, that's thank you. Uh, just wonderful. Oh, thank you for having me on the show. It was well, very I look nice. forward to staying in touch with you and, um, you know, keeping track of how things are going. And um, if you have something that mm-hmm. you information that you think we can help share with people, certainly let us know. Oh, no, I definitely will. Thank you. About another book almost written. So it'll be coming out, hopefully, if the publishers accept it. 
and another year by the looks of it they were that slow the last time but the new book's going to be called Sizzling Bacon oh, and Bumblebee all right. so uh, it'll hopefully be published all right. we will definitely definitely keep us posted I will thank, thank you thank you so much Anne thanks you know, a little bit of her story kind of reminded me of Norm's who we had on here recently because, well, Norm's wasn't misdiagnosed. People didn't believe he had Lewy body right. because he didn't behave in the way that they thought that he should. Exactly. Um, and, and again, it's not often that we're able to have somebody who is the care needer as opposed to the caregiver. But, yeah. And those stories need to be heard, absolutely. Um, and uh, and I appreciate it when when they're willing to come forward because a number of people, their illness is too far advanced. But also there's a very unnecessary feeling of embarrassment to admit that you have a disease like this. One of the one of the things I again is reinforced with me: the children are amazing. You know, remember with um, Mallory, our granddaughter, how she always kind of looked after her grandmother who lived a couple doors away. Didn't quite understand or know what was wrong, but knew that grandma need, in, instinctively or intuitively knew that the grandma needed, needed some help. And the same with Evie. She is absolutely amazing. As uh, I think she said her other daughter's name was Tiara. Um, being a teen or a child, a preteen like that, that's, to me, that's amazingly inspiring. Well, fortunately, um, children are pure of heart for the most part, and they really want to help. They don't, they're not as judgmental as adults seem to be. So we're fortunate. Don't you judge me. (laughs) We're fortunate (laughs) to have, you know, young people watching over us. Um, Yeah. And the other thing I found interesting was the dementia diaries. And um, that might be something that we should look into uh, or maybe even uh, deal with a little bit more ourselves with the Alzheimer's Association. Just put something else on our list? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And, of course, her saying that bacon takes over. I love bacon. Bacon is the world. (laughs) (laughs) It's a message, that's for sure. And how her and her daughter are very open in discussing everything. That open line of communication. Very, very important between the caregiver and the carrie. Absolutely. You can find more information about Anne on our show website at rogerthat.show. This has been Roger That, and I'm Bobby. And I'm Mike. And we are dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. So please subscribe to the show, go to iTunes and post a review. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question or issue you'd like for us to address, please post on the Roger That Facebook page. To find out more about us, head over to rogerthat.show. That's Roger, R-O-D-G-E-R, that dot show. Roger That is produced by Missing Link a media podcast company dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Also in the Missing Link lineup of podcasts is the Designated Drinker Show, the podcast raising the bar on craft cocktails. Here you meet interesting folks, enjoy boozy banter, and learn how to make craft cocktails from a master. 
And if you're looking for a whole new way to enjoy theater, check out Between Acts, an immersive audio theater podcast experience. Each episode takes you on a spellbinding journey through the works of newfound playwrights, from dramas to comedies and all those in between. Find Missing Link's League of Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe, download, and review the shows as your review helps our show reach new audiences. To find out more about Missing Link, visit missinglink.company. That's missinglink.company.